You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Today's episode is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon including our Commodore class. That's Commodore's Obvious, Misfit, David, Torso and Pinches, Matt, Hangman Strain, Shelby, Andrew, Axios, Richard, Hartman, Skipper, The Sextant, Brian, Cap'n Crunch, Roger the Jolly, Vibran, Artemis Killmeister, Carcos, Rotary Coast, M.D., Lost Again, The Navigator, Doc Lindsay, Pitlock, Ward, Workman, Chairboat, Gunsway Sally, Cannon Monkey, Rum Runner, Madam Anita Sparrow, Hefe, Bull, Vertigon, Rumgut, and Bootstraps Bailey. Hello. Welcome to the Pirate History Podcast. My name is Matt. Thank you for listening. Last time, we followed Mr. William Kidd to London. And it is Mr. William Kidd at this point. You know, there's some debate about whether or not the office of captaincy should be held in perpetuity. Once a captain, always a captain. And there's some evidence to support that idea, The Admiralty would occasionally refer to certain pirates who had been a captain as Captain Such-and-Such during their trial. They'd do it to Captain Kidd. But I think that was more a way of designating their role on board during the piracies for which they were being charged. In the Royal Navy, or really any military body in the world that has a similar rank to Captain, you can be promoted or demoted out of that office. Maybe you made Commodore, or maybe you were demoted to first mate, which wasn't always a bad thing, right? I mean, if you'd been a captain of a royal frigate, that was a fine job. But if then you got demoted to first mate, only it was on board a first-rate ship of the line, that was actually kind of a promotion. But once you were first mate, you were no longer a captain. For my money, the rank of captain requires one to actually be serving as captain of a ship. It's like, well, say you're a chef, you know, the chief of a commercial kitchen. But then your restaurant goes under, and you have to get a job somewhere as a line cook. If you were to demand that everybody on the line call you chef, well, don't do that. Everyone hates that guy. 
When Jack Sparrow arrives at Port Royal in the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, and his ship sinks, he's no longer Captain Jack Sparrow, because he doesn't have a ship. When Captain Kidd loses his vessel, he's no longer a captain either. He's Mr. William Kidd. So we followed Mr. Kidd back to London, where he would be put in custody of the East India Company. Now, while much of his time in London would be filled with the same kind of empty nothingness that his time in the Boston jail was, the first few days were pretty action-packed. This is episode 290, A Hangman or a Statesman. We said last time that Mr. Kidd wrote 25 letters while en route to London, and he did, but of course it would be quite the feat to actually send those letters while in the middle of the Atlantic. Instead, he entrusted these letters to Captain Wynne of the advice. For all intents and purposes, Captain Wynne was his jailer, but he seems to have been a mostly decent man as far as Captain Mr. Kidd was concerned. Man, that's, that's really tough. While on board the advice, Kidd was confined to his cabin, but he did have a cabin. He had a bed. He got regular meals. Not, you know, the officer's fare, but he was eating what an average midshipman might get every day. Captain Wynne also granted Kidd the ink and paper he needed to write those letters. And the sealing wax, but that sealing wax was not going to be honored. Those letters were absolutely going to be read by men who they had not been written for. But thanks to his honorable treatment, I think Kidd could reasonably expect that those letters would be delivered. Now, last time we spent a decent amount of time mired in the politics of England, the very polite, very proper little war between the Whigs and the Tories. And if you like that stuff, well, I've got good news for you, and if not, well... The Whigs, when Kidd arrived in England, very much wanted to keep his arrival a secret. If the Whigs could keep Kidd out of the hands of the Tories, they might be able to control the narrative before the trial, which was coming. But then, to affect this outcome, they did something kind of stupid. They sent word, by messenger, to every port at which the advice might stop, those messages said that the ship was not to be boarded or searched or questioned too closely. These were orders from the Admiralty, so they would be adhered to, but if anybody wondered why, those same messages said that it's because the advice was carrying a cargo of extreme value, so no prying eyes. And everyone in England knew that William Kidd was the most wanted man in the world. Well... He had just been arrested. The formerly most wanted man in the world was on his way to London. When you send these messages out that do everything but name Captain Kidd, someone is going to figure it out. And one of these someones, maybe many of these someones, knew someone who knew someone who was willing to pay for that information. As Richard Zacks writes, quote, the secret of Kidd's arrival remained a secret until about dawn. Within two days, it was common knowledge, and then publicly announced. End quote. That public announcement was perfect political theater. 
You see, the Tories could announce this in the newspapers. They could trumpet their demands that Kidd be brought forth to answer for his crimes, for the crimes of the Whigs. They could call down fire and fury on their political opponents, even the king. Or they could do nothing. Now, this is often a hard lesson for politicians to learn early on in their career. You know how, in a certain light, sometimes it's better to be in the opposition party than the party in power. You tend to raise a lot more money when you're the opposition. You can make big promises about what you would do, how things would be different were you in power. But then, once you actually get in power, you have to follow through on some of that, and it's really hard. It can be better, in a two-party system at least, to just let the other guy dig their own hole. All the while, you get to point and say, See? See what we're talking about here? The Tories could just announce that the Whigs had Captain Kidd in their custody, all hidden away. He was here, in England, but the Whigs wanted to ensure that no one else had access to him until they could get their story straight. Remember, according to the Tory narrative, these were the people who had sent Captain Kidd out to go attack East India Company shipping. Who knows what kind of horrific deeds they might be cooking up behind closed doors right now. All they had to do was announce what was actually happening and then do nothing. So a little suspicion here and there, but they didn't have to take any real action for the Whigs to take a serious political beating in the press. Now, when he was brought ashore, Captain Kidd would be questioned, and we'll get to that in a minute. But first I want to talk about the real prize. It wasn't Captain Kidd. He was in custody. Everybody knew that he was safely tucked away. What everyone really wanted to get their grubby little mitts on were two boxes of documents. We need to remember here that London had not received word of William Kidd since, I guess, like August. That's when Lord Bellamont wrote the Admiralty that he had Captain Kidd in custody. They'd sent that first ship to collect him, but it had to turn back, and now he was on the second. It had been almost a year by this point. So everything that we've talked about for the past several weeks, you know, Captain Kidd's account of his voyage, the account of the voyage to find the Adventure Prize, the loss of the Adventure Prize, John Gardner, Thomas Paine, all of that, Sarah Kidd's letters, everything. Not to mention Captain Kidd's journal and the 25 letters that he had just written. Well, they were all stored in two crates. Now, we can't ever really know what decisions were made when and by whom. You'd need to be a fly on the wall in a lot of fancy parlors behind locked doors. But the Whig leadership made some moves here. First, on the day that Captain Kidd landed in London, they decided to end the session of Parliament. The Commons was still the best and most public place to make political accusations against your opponents, but as soon as Captain Kidd arrived, they shut that down. You know, everybody go home, we'll meet back up in a couple of months. After, I'm sure, they got everything exactly how they wanted it. But then, James Vernon made what I see as a pretty dashing political move. He had those two crates of documents brought to the Admiralty, 
where they could be opened and examined. But here's the thing. Nobody could complain that the Admiralty was outside of their jurisdiction. This was absolutely their wheelhouse. But the men who would be opening and examining those documents were a blend of Whigs and Tories. Vernon's allies all screamed that this was political suicide, but his rivals howled that he was keeping those documents behind locked doors. No one was happy, but all of those arguments, thanks to this one move, had had their fangs removed. For now, and this is rare in partisan politics, a group of experienced military officers, lawyers, and bureaucrats could look at all the evidence with something almost resembling impartiality. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. William Kidd had no illusions about his probable fate. When John Cheek brought him ashore, Kidd looked at the company man in the eyes and said, quote, If I am condemned, I hope to be shot and not suffer the shameful death of hanging. He also told Cheek, in what kind of looks like a last request, that he be shot in private and not paraded through the streets to suffer all that indignity. He knew what happened to pirates, and yet he thought he might be able to be spared all of that pomp and circumstance, so I guess he did have some illusion about his possible fate. When John Cheek and William Kidd made landfall, they were greeted by a company of soldiers, about a hundred men. They surrounded what was a fairly nice carriage that was to carry John Cheek and William Kidd to the Admiralty. When that carriage set off, the company of soldiers marched with them. And you know, this feels kind of like theater as well. I'm not sure it is. William Kidd was still, to the people of England, a fairly nefarious and shadowy figure. Who knows what sorts of insidious deeds he may have cooked up. But no one was coming to rescue him. There wasn't some ship full of hardened killers out there just waiting to jump over the side and cut a swath to their beloved leader... Nothing like that was going to happen. 
And if it was, it would have happened in Boston. The jail was a stone's throw from the water. This big, showy military escort was more pomp and circumstance. These soldiers, in full regalia, marched through the heart of the English government with Kidd at their center. We're talking about Westminster, the offices of the East India Company, the Bank of England. William Kidd's carriage passed by all of them. Not to mention all of the private residences, the homes of the best men in London. Now, I'm trying to figure out exactly where the Admiralty met in 1701, and it's fairly tricky. The first building dedicated to the Admiralty from its inception wouldn't be built until 1724. The much more famous Admiralty House wouldn't be completed until 1788. And... Everything in London was still kind of in flux after the Great Fire. That had been 35 years ago, but they were still finding room for all of the necessary government ministries. With their needs regularly changing, institutions like the Admiralty moved around a lot. I think that here in 1701, William Kidd would have been taken to the Mount Joy House... That's a large estate that had belonged to the Baron's Mountjoy until they petered out during the Civil War. It was one of those very fine houses for very fine men, but without a Baron Mountjoy to occupy it, the Admiralty could move in. Wherever the Admiralty met, William Kidd was taken inside, and first things first, he was subjected to a medical examination. After his months in a Boston jail, and then, on a ship across the Atlantic, there was a pretty real possibility that he would actually have been really sick. If that were the case, they would have done everything in their power to keep him alive. Nobody wanted William Kidd to die, yet. But he was in fine fettle. So John Cheek marched him into a relatively comfortable, unofficial sitting room. But make no mistake, this sitting room was an interrogation room. Twelve naval officers, admiralty men, all, awaited him there. And you know some of their names, they've been around, but we're not going to bother with them here except for one. Sir George Rook. George Rook has been an important naval figure all throughout the era of the Pirates of the Round. During the Franco-Dutch War, he was stationed in the West Indies, so he was present for the end of the Brethren of the Coast. In fact, part of his writ was to hunt them down. He was knee-deep in the Glorious Revolution. In fact, he was the captain who ferried William of Orange to England. When the Nine Years' War broke out, he fought at both Bantry Bay and Beachy Head. And after those two losses, he was promoted from a captain to a rear admiral. Now, we already talked about how a demotion could be a good thing if you were demoted in the right direction. But in this case, this promotion was actually kind of a punishment. He wasn't apparently much of a ship's officer. He didn't have any of the naval instincts needed to lead a ship in war. So they promoted him to rear admiral and put him behind a desk. Now, these twelve men questioned Captain Kidd for seven hours. There was nothing said, though, that we don't already know. Captain Kidd told the story that he'd been telling for some time, about the Whig officials, powerful men all, that backed his pirate-hunting expedition, 
and about the evil men who took over his ship and engaged in piracy against his wishes. But again, none of this was known back in London. And after this group of twelve men heard this testimony, they decided to keep it under lock and key. No one outside of the Admiralty was to learn of any of this, not yet. Mostly because it wasn't that bad. If they could keep this all a secret and not give their political opponents any time to spin, then when this came out in court, it would make everyone here look pretty good. All of those Whig lords, and the king, and William Kidd, and all of those documents in those two crates agreed that his job had been to hunt Thomas II and Henry Every. So the Whig lords, and the king, and the admiralty, if they played their cards right, might just come away smelling like roses. Naturally, though, a whisper of all of this new information did escape the admiralty. Sir George Rook carried news of this testimony to a man who was paying him well for that information, James Vernon, the Secretary of State. And I think we should be clear, George Rook was not the only man in that room selling secrets to his superiors. Everybody probably told somebody about it. The difference here is that James Vernon wrote a letter and the recipient of that letter failed to destroy it. That recipient was the Duke of Shrewsbury, currently in self-imposed exile in Rome. Shrewsbury was among the most important men in England when he was in England. He'd acted on several occasions as the steward to the throne when King William was away in the Netherlands. He was accused of treason in 1696 by probably the most prominent Jacobite in the Parliament, a man named John Fenwick. Now, this treason was false, and Fenwick himself would be executed for real treason just a year later, but Shrewsbury took this opportunity to retire. He was in ill health and decided that he no longer had a taste for politics. In the letter that Shrewsbury wrote in response to the letter written by James Vernon, he would say that he, quote, would sooner bind his son to a cobbler than a courtier, and a hangman than a statesman, end quote. He's saying that making shoes and hanging dudes are both more honorable professions than politics. All of the backbiting and intrigue kind of sickened him. Still, though, the letter to which he was responding from James Vernon was mostly good news. It said that William Kidd had told the assembled men of the Admiralty, truthfully, that he had not had contact with any of the great and powerful Whig nobles who were now associated with his crimes. And he hadn't. You may remember way back when Kidd was last in London to get backing for his voyage as a privateer, he and Robert Livingston had met with Lord Bellamont, who backed their proposition, and took them to Lord Shrewsbury's manor. But neither Kidd nor Livingston met the Duke. Instead, they had to stand in an adjoining room, while Bellamont and Shrewsbury talked behind a curtain. They could hear what was said, but not interact with the Duke. So, Kidd's testimony was mostly in accordance with what we know about him so far. And to be fair, it really didn't look that bad for him or the nobles who had supported him. Once his seven-hour interrogation was up, Kidd was taken into an adjoining room, and made to wait while the 
twelve men board made their decision. In the interim, they brought in Captain Wynne of the advice. And here Captain Wynne delivered those two crates of documents to the Admiralty, making particular note of Captain Kidd's journal. Because Captain Kidd did keep a journal. And I hear you all saying, My God, why haven't we been using this journal the entire time? A first-person account of everything that happened on board his voyage? What an invaluable historical source! But here's the thing. Once that journal fell into the hands of those twelve men of the Admiralty, it disappeared forever. Captain Wynne may have felt that he honored the wishes of Sarah Kidd when she begged him to bring her husband back. He gave that journal an exonerating piece of evidence to the men who could exonerate Captain Kidd. But these men were never going to exonerate Captain Kidd. To my mind, at least, it's clear that the judgment of Captain Kidd had already been passed and his sentence decided. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank everybody who has helped to support the show, all of our patrons on Patreon, everybody who has left us ratings or reviews, and everybody who has recommended this show online or in real life. All of that makes this possible. Thank you. As well, I hope that everyone out there had a fantastic holiday season, and I'd like to wish all of you a happy 2023. Dusty Tavern was kingdom of a witchy 
they've lost their best sailor to guide. And at first light this morn, the old captain has died. Let him live on in legend tonight.